All right. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you I haven't had a chance to connect with, my name is Matthew, and I have the privilege of serving as the teaching pastor here at the Westerville campus. And uh, if you are new to uh, LifePoint, if today's your first time joining, we'd love the opportunity to connect with you, to get to know you a little bit. And the uh, easiest way for you to do that is to grab your, your phone and uh, to scan that QR code on the seat back in front of you. You'll find a little section called Guest Info. And if you'll fill that out um, at the bottom, you'll actually see a couple of local ministries um, in our area. You can select one of those, and we'll make a donation in your honor uh, to that local ministry as our way of thanking you for being here today. You'll also see a section called Notes that you can follow along with during today's message. And uh, one quick announcement before we, uh, we jump into today's message. If you have graduated high school and you are in that 18 to 25 age range, 18 to 25 age range, next Sunday, uh, after our 12 o'clock service here in this room, we're going to be providing free lunch that day and uh, give you an opportunity to connect with our new student and 1825 director, uh, Ian Ortiz, uh, to talk about some, some exciting things coming up with 1825 with that ministry. So if you're in that age range, next Sunday after the 12 o'clock service, free lunch here and give you an opportunity to meet Ian and spend some time together. So we are uh, in the middle of our teaching series called Broken Mirrors, and during this series, we're looking at several different characters uh, from Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the Hall of Faith. These are the heroes of the Christian faith. But all of these characters, even though they find themselves in this Hall of Faith, they were all broken. And they were all flawed. They all made some, some, some pretty big mistakes. Last week, we looked at, at Samson's life, and his life was really defined by mistake after mistake after mistake. But in the very end, God redeemed his life for, for a greater purpose. And what we see through all these characters is that broken people can still reflect a perfect God. Our God is an expert. He specializes in using broken, messed up people. And uh, each week during this series, we're taking these different characters and their stories, and we're connecting them to our core values here at LifePoint. Uh, whether you've been going to LifePoint a long time or, or you're new, uh, we've got five core values here at LifePoint. And we use the acronym GRASP uh, to help remind ourselves and to memorize those. And those core values are gospel identity, reaching priority, authentic community, spiritual intimacy, and personal ministry. And uh, today we're going to be looking at our third core value, which is authentic community. Now when you read through Hebrews chapter 11, you see a lot of uh, big name all-stars. Uh, guys like Noah, Abraham, David, Samuel, and you know whether you grew up in, in church or not, you're probably at least familiar uh, with, with some of their names. They're kind of the, the heavy hitters of the faith. But today we're going to take a look at what I would say is probably the, the least known and least discussed characters in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, they're not even mentioned directly by their names here. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, the author of Hebrews writes this, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You know, just about everybody 
knows of Moses and knows of, of his story. He's the guy who, who went to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and commanded that he let God's people go. He's the one who, who parted the Red Sea and led God's people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And he's even got a couple of Hollywood movies made about him. He's got the classic, The Prince of Egypt. How many of you have seen The, the Prince of Egypt? That's not enough hands. You need to see The Prince of Egypt. Great movie, whether you're a kid or you're an adult. And even that uh, really lousy one with Christian Bale that was made about him a few years ago, but don't waste your, your time with that one. Uh, but here in Hebrews chapter 11, before we even get to Moses, there's an entire verse dedicated to the faith of his parents. And today, we're going to take a look at their story back in Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we're going to see this community of people coming together to fulfill God's purposes, and it reminds us today that we have been designed, we have been created by God to need community in our lives. So let me set the, the stage before we, we jump into Exodus. At the, the end of the book of Genesis, we read about this guy named Joseph, and him and his family, they settled down in the land of Egypt. Joseph was a high-ranking uh, official in Egypt. He was a close friend of the Pharaoh, and when he settled down there, his family began to, to grow and to multiply uh, pretty rapidly. And after several hundred years, this family eventually grew into a nation, the nation of Israel. But as generations passed, the history, the, the legacy of Joseph and his family was forgotten by the Egyptian people. And eventually, a new pharaoh came to power, and he began to look around at all these Israelites, and he saw them as a threat to his power. So he enslaved them. He oppressed them. He made them work for him. But the Israelites just continued to grow and to multiply and to spread throughout Egypt. They started to outnumber the Egyptians. So the Pharaoh commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill any baby boys that were born to the Israelites. He wanted to keep the Israelites from, from growing and becoming more powerful. And in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, it says this. The king of Egypt, talking about the Pharaoh, said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So here we have our first characters in this community of people that God is bringing together and that God is using, these Hebrew midwives. And it says that they feared the Lord. They refused to obey the Pharaoh. They honored God and would not kill these Hebrew baby boys. So the Pharaoh began to take things into his own hands. He's frustrated. He's, he's getting angry. And in verse 22, it says this. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So the Pharaoh commands this, this mass genocide of the Hebrew baby boys. It's very similar to what Herod commanded after the, the birth of Jesus. He, he wanted to eliminate any threat to his rule and his power and, and, and his reign. And this command that he issues kind of sets up the, the stage, sets up the story for, for Moses and for his birth. 
And what I want to do is I want to look at Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read verse 1 through 10 all the way through, and then we're going to kind of break it down together. But we're going to look at the birth of Moses and see this community of people that God is gathering around, that God is pulling together to fulfill something even greater than they they realized what was happening. So Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and she saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So from this point forward, for the rest of the book of Exodus, Moses kind of becomes the the central and main character in the story. He's kind of the the star of the show, the one receiving the, the best actor award. You see, just like any great movie, it's never just about the main characters, never just about the star of the film. There's always this incredible supporting cast. And here, in the very beginning of Moses' story, before he's even born, we see this supporting cast coming together. We see this community of people at work. I mean, just look at and think about the number of people who are, who are working together, whether they even realize it or not, to fulfill God's purposes. You have these Hebrew midwives who refused to obey the Pharaoh and who honored the Lord. You have Moses' parents who hid their, their, their three-month-old child. Imagine hiding a, a, a newborn. You can't go out with them. You're hiding them. And she was hiding them from the Egyptians. You have Pharaoh's daughter who finds this this Hebrew baby boy, and she knows that her father has commanded that all these boys be put to death, but she has pity on him. She has grace and empathy, and she decides, you know what, I'm gonna raise this child myself. And then you have Moses' sister, who's watching all this unfold, boldly walks up to the Pharaoh's daughter and suggests that his mom be the one to take care of him. I mean, this story takes the meaning of it takes a village to, to a whole new level. You see, the the story of Moses, the story of the Exodus, it would have never happened without this community of people. God brought these people together to fulfill his plan. People from different backgrounds, from different cultures, different nationalities, different stages of life. This random group of people, God brought them together for a greater purpose. He was using them whether they even realized it or not. And what you see all throughout scripture is that God works through community. God works through small groups, small gatherings of of people. In the gospel accounts, you see Jesus and his 12 disciples. And yes, he ministered to the thousands. He taught in large groups, 
but he spent most of his time with these 12 men. And within, within the 12, the three disciples that he was closest with, investing in them, pouring into their lives. And Acts, in the early church, you see believers gathering, yes, for corporate worship, but you also see believers gathering in homes and small groups where they're praying together, they're sharing a meal together, they're studying God's word together, they're sharing their, their possessions with each other. And the epistles, you see Paul traveling with guys like Barnabas and Silas and Timothy, these small groups of two or three guys that, guys that God is using and God is working through. God uses small groups of people, small communities to fulfill his purposes. And God has designed us. He's designed you. He's designed me to need community in our lives. Like following Jesus isn't this solo journey where it's just me and my relationship with God and I'm just gonna focus on me and my relationship. All right, it's just, hey, my family and God and we're just gonna do our own thing as our own little unit. No, following Jesus, what you see throughout scripture, it's this team sport, it's a team effort where we come together with other believers to accomplish something greater than ourselves, the advancement of God's kingdom in our world. Listen, we were never intended to follow Jesus by ourselves. We were always meant to follow Jesus alongside other believers. And that's why one of our, our core values here at LifePoint is authentic community. We believe that we have been saved, we have been rescued into a spiritual family. We've been adopted into the family of God and God desires for us to live in biblical community with other believers where we're connecting with them, where we're including others, we're involving other people in our life. And here at LifePoint, authentic community for us, man, it looks like, it looks like life groups, and listen, there, there are a lot of great church models and philosophies out there. Man, there, there are churches that have a lot of events and a lot of programs and, and a lot of classes, and those things are great. I grew up in a, a very program and event-driven church, and it, God used it in my life. But here at LifePoint, we've just made the decision that we're going to put all of our eggs in the life group basket because we want to do small groups really well. And for us, life groups aren't just another ministry or another program that we offer, just another thing that we put on the calendar so that we stay busy doing church activities. No, life groups are what we do. Throughout the core of our DNA, it's our expression of authentic biblical community. And today, we are actually kicking off the first life group term for 2024. You know, all throughout this week and for the rest of the semester, we're going to have groups uh, meeting in different locations at different times on different days of the week all throughout uh, the greater Columbus area, connected to all six of our different campuses. We've got family groups, we've got men's groups, we've got women's groups, we've got a group for 1825 college young adults, we have bridge groups that are centered around a particular need or topic, and our heart, our desire is to see everyone who calls LifePoint home. If you would say, hey, this is my home church. This is my community. This is where I worship. We want to see you connected in a life group, experiencing authentic community alongside other believers. 
And if you've never gotten plugged into a life group, maybe you've been attending for, for a long time and you've never taken that, that step for whatever reason, or you're, you're brand new to LifePoint, man, we wanna help you today to get connected with a, with a group. And there's a couple of different ways you, you can do that. On, on your seat, uh, you'll find a, a life group brochure and you can scan that, that QR code and see a list of all of our different life groups. Um, and you'll find the, the times they're meeting, the day of the week, where they're meeting, who the leaders are. Or you can find anybody on our, our staff team. Myself, Dustin, Mark, the Bosers, we would love to get you connected with a group. We want you to experience authentic community this year. We want to help you take that step. We don't want you to leave today and without being a part of, of some kind of life group. But for the next few minutes, what, what I want to do is I want to speak to what I think are some, when I, when I think about life groups and I think about community, some common uh, misconceptions, some common objections that people have to community that I think prevent us from really going all in with what God desires. So I want to look at three common misconceptions when it comes to biblical community. So if you're taking notes, the, the first one is this, is that community is harder and messier than we think. And it's harder and it is messier than we think. You know, community is kind of this churchy buzzword that we like to, to throw around. And if you go to any church in the area, you're going to hear them say, community is important to us. And you might see community on their wall or community on their, their, their website, under their core values. Like churches talk a lot about community, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions around it. Because whenever we, we talk about community, I think we envision in our minds something that's really simple and easy and, and, and fun. And we imagine, okay, I'm a, all right, I'm going to sign up for a life group. And we think about showing up to that life group for the first time, and we're nervous. We don't know anybody, and we knock on the door. And when they open the door, there's a group of 10 or 12 people standing there smiling, just waiting to greet you. They can't wait to meet you. You are a, a big deal to them. And uh, they're immediately going to drop everything they're doing. And for the next hour and a half, you are going to be the, the center of their attention. And it's going to be the, the friendliest most welcoming group in the world, and, and everyone in the group, they, they look like us, and they talk like us, they have the same interests as us, they've been married as long as we have, they have kids in the same stage of life, and after the first week of meeting these strangers, they are our new best friends. We're doing birthday parties together, family game nights, we've got a vacation to Disney World scheduled together, we're just doing life together. That's what we think about. That's what we, we often envision. We have this expectation, but here's the reality. Man, community's hard, and it's messy. It's not all rainbows and butterflies. Like, there's gonna be, there are gonna be people who annoy you and who drive you nuts. There are gonna be people in your group who, who think different than you and who vote different than you. There are gonna be people in the group who rub you the wrong way, like the way that they talk or their kind of their attitude. There's gonna be people in the group who, who hurt your feelings. Like community would be really easy if it wasn't for the people involved, right? 
Pastoring would be the easiest job in the world if it wasn't for the people involved. If I was, hey, you just have to prepare a message every week and that's all you have to do. It'd be the easiest job in the world. Community would be so easy if it wasn't for the people involved. But listen, the New Testament, it doesn't shy away from the fact that community is hard. It doesn't paint this picture, this false picture, this false reality. In fact, it speaks very frankly to the challenges of authentic biblical community. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. To bear with someone means to, to be patient with them. To show them grace. And this verse that Paul is writing assumes that people in your community are going to require grace and patience for you, from you. It assumes that that people are going to annoy you at times, that people are going to hurt your feelings, that people are going to let you down. And it also assumes that you're going to do the same to them at times that people in your community are going to need to show you grace and to be patient with you. But regardless of how hard community can be at times, we are called to bear with each other, to forgive one another, to, 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 to extend the same kind of grace and mercy that Jesus has shown us and to embrace the beautiful messiness of community because we've been designed for it. We've been created for it. We need it in our lives. Listen, biblical community isn't this group of people who are just like you, who look like you and talk like you and vote like you and think like you. It's often a group of people who really don't have very much in common other than Jesus. But they choose to put aside their differences and their preferences and their opinions on secondary things. And they come together around a common purpose, which is knowing Jesus and making him known. Man, community's hard. It's messy. Because it involves people. Broken people. Man, but God has designed us for it. We need it in our lives. The second thing, if you're, you're taking notes, is this, is that community requires effort and intentionality. It requires effort and intentionality. Biblical community isn't something that's just going to happen to you or happen for you. Like, you're not going to stumble your way into authentic community. You have to develop it. You have to invest in it. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. It has to be a priority in your life. And here's what I know. Here's what I know about each and every one of us. If something is a priority for us, we make time for it. If something's a priority for us, we bend our schedule around it. Because I, I look at our lives, not, not, not just you, I'm talking about myself as well. Man, we bend our lives around our kids' activities, don't we? around their, their sports, or their dance, or their gymnastics, or their school performances. We bend our schedule, our calendar around their activities. We bend our schedule around trips that we want to take. Like if we want to go out of town for the weekend, or we have a vacation plan, we bend everything around that trip. We bend our schedule around the Ohio State game. Like we're not going to schedule something else on Saturday afternoon if we know Ohio State's playing. We bend our schedule around that. But here's what I wonder. Man, is biblical community truly a priority in your life? 
Because for some of us, if we're, if we're just being honest, man, community is kind of that, that last thing that we try to fit into our, our schedule. And we build out our, our calendar, we build out our schedule for the week with work commitments and kids' sports and doctor's appointments and upcoming trips. We, we have it all planned out. And then we try to squeeze community in where we can. And we try to make it to church on Sunday. Or we try to get to life group. If there's not something else on the calendar, if there's not something else going on, and look, I'm not suggesting that, man, we need to have perfect attendance with church or perfect attendance with, with life group. Now, I know things come up. I know work commitments pop up that, that prevent us from going. I know that we have, have trips and vacations that we take. I know our, our, our kids get sick at times. Like, life happens. I completely get that. Man, but what would happen if we truly made community a priority in our life? Like when we looked at our calendar, we looked at our schedule at the beginning of the week, Sunday morning worship and life group were the two big rocks on the calendar. And we planned all the extracurricular things around it. Not trying to squeeze in community where we can, but hey, hey, these are on the calendar. We're not missing these. And everything else bends around that. Listen to what the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And this is to the, to the early church. They were already having an issue with this. This isn't new to us. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Making community a priority. Giving it the effort and the intentionality that is required. Listen, are there weeks that I don't want to go to life group? Yes. My kids are tired. They're in a bad mood or I've had a long day at work or we're getting ready to go out of town. Some weeks it would be a lot easier to just skip life group to just hang at home, to just chill out, to just recover. But we have made the decision to make community a priority in our life. Man, to put the effort and intentionality that it requires. And it's not just because I'm a pastor, not just because this is a part of my job, but because we believe that it matters. We believe that we need it. We believe that we have been designed and created for it. Listen, back in, in July, I uprooted my family. We moved here. We knew one couple here. We had no other family, no other friends here. And we made the decision. We're gonna jump both feet in into community. We're gonna, we're gonna build relationships. We're gonna schedule lunches with people, play dates. We're gonna have people over for dinner. We're gonna get plugged into to a life group. We are going to develop community in our life. We're gonna put the effort and intentionality into it. It's gonna be a priority for us. And listen, for, for, for some of you, like I, I know it can be awkward at times. Like you're waiting on the invite so you don't invite them. And it can be, you know, you, you feel kind of vulnerable stepping out and, and being real and putting in the effort. But listen, man, if it's gonna be a priority in your life, it takes effort, it takes intentionality. It takes you bending your life around community to make it a priority. Amen. Let's, let's choose this year to make it a priority 
in our life. And finally, number three, and I think this may be the, the most important, the most compelling of the three points. You don't know how much you need community until you need community. You know, there are, are times and seasons in life where it feels like we don't really need community that much. Like our, our marriage is doing well, our family's healthy, our, our career's going well, life is good, and it's easy during those times to neglect community and to make it less of a priority. But you see, it's during those seasons when life is good, when life is going, you know, it's, it feels kind of easy that you need to continue to invest in community. Because listen, listen, there's going to come a season when you desperately need community in your life, where you're going to have to withdraw on that investment that you've been making. And in that season, in that moment, you're going to be so grateful, so thankful that you have prioritized community, that you have invested in these relationships. But unfortunately, what, what I see so often is individuals and families neglecting biblical community. They don't make it a priority. They don't invest in it. They don't put in the effort and intentionality that it requires. And when they hit a difficult season, and we all do, whether it's a struggle in their marriage or they're walking through, you know, their, their parents are aging or they have a health crisis in their family or there's something going on with, with one of their children, in those seasons, they don't have anyone to turn to. They don't have any investment to withdraw from and they end up walking through those seasons by themselves, isolated, with nobody there to, to care for them, nobody there to, to support them. But listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter six. He says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. To carry someone's burdens means to lend them your strength. Where you come alongside them and you help them shoulder that burden. You help them shoulder that weight, a weight that they cannot carry on their own. And there's no better picture of authentic biblical community than when we carry each other's burdens. Because when we do, Paul says that we fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? To love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you wanna live out community, you wanna fulfill the law of Christ, you come alongside a brother, a sister, who's carrying a weight, who's carrying a burden that's overwhelming them. You say, hey, I'm gonna lend you my strength. I'm gonna come alongside you and shoulder that weight. You don't have to walk through this by yourself. Now, I have a good friend back home who was uh, diagnosed with ALS about two and a half years ago. And uh, him and his family, they've been connected to, uh, to my home church for about 20 years, almost two decades. And their entire time at our church, they have made a community a, a priority. They've served in several different ministries. They've gone on various mission trips. They've been connected in, in groups. And they have been a blessing to so many people. 
They've come alongside other individuals, other uh, families who are hurting, who are walking through difficult seasons, and they have lent their strength to them. They have helped them carry their burdens, and they have invested in community and have developed some really meaningful relationships over the years. They have been all in. It has been a priority. But during this season, they have had to withdraw on that investment. They've needed other people, other believers to come alongside them and help them carry this burden. And just over the past few months, as my friend's health has has really started to decline, it's been amazing, even from from Ohio, a thousand miles away, to see the body of Christ, to see these believers coming together to help this family carry this unimaginable weight. People from from church are taking the meals, they're helping them financially, they're watching their kids, they're jumping in and serving and helping in any way that they can. And I'm sure this family, they, they never imagined that they would need community this much. They never imagined that they would have to, to carry a, a burden like this. But I know in this season they are so thankful for the community they have in their life. They are so grateful that they made it a priority for so many years. Listen, you don't know how much you need community until you need community. And in that moment, you're gonna wanna be able to look around and see an army of believers who are there to help you carry that burden, to lend you their strength, and you wanna be the same for others. You want to be the same for the people in our faith family. You want to be the same for, for, for people in your life group. That when you see them walking through a health crisis, a financial crisis, a marriage crisis, something with their kids, aging parents, you come alongside them. You say, hey, I'm here with you. We're going to do this together. Listen, community, it's, it's hard. It's messy. It can be, it can be painful at times. And it requires a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of intentionality. It doesn't just just magically happen. But you have been designed and created by God to need community. You have been saved into a faith family, into a spiritual family, God's family. And my encouragement, my prayer, my challenge to you this year as as your pastor is that you would choose to make community a priority this year that you would invest in it, that you would give it the effort that it deserves because it is worth it. You have been created and designed to need other believers in your life and they need you in their life as well. So Father, we thank you that you have saved us, not just from our sins, God, but that you have saved us, God, to, to a new family. God, that you have adopted us into your family, into a community of believers. And God, that's uh, lived out here locally at, at LifePoint, at our campus, God, but we're connected to, to, to a body of believers, a family all over the world, people who have trusted in you for, for their salvation. But God, my, my prayer specifically for us here at Westerville, Lord, is God, that we would make biblical community a priority in our life this year. God, that we would stop making excuses. God, that we would stop living arrogantly as if we don't need it. 
God, that we would put down our, our, our pride and be willing to be vulnerable, to step into something that can be hard, step into something that can be messy. And God, that we would lend others our strength, that we would come alongside people who are hurting and show them the, the grace and the mercy, God, that you have, have shown us. And help us to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus here in our, our church. God, help us to, to live out, God, this core value of authentic community. Jesus, we love you. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.